Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of, again, the Neil Haley Show and Podcast Magazine. Uh, again, writing this feature article for the sports, I'm the sports category director, Neil Haley, for Podcast Magazine. And I'm excited to welcome to the program Terrence Copper, former NFL star, East Carolina standout, and now podcaster for the, Ro- Ro- the War Room podcast on the Believe Network. Terrence, thanks for stopping by, man. How are you? Neil, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. If we're just jump right into it, and this is where we go, is basically this is called Beyond the Microphone. You know, okay. microphone's very, very important to me. I've done 7,000 plus shows, and it's my life in so many ways, even though I'm an entrepreneur, a former athlete, all these things. It's the microphone always comes back to me. But when we want to know the story of people, and that's what Podcast Magazine does, we go back to their career and everything. So when you were growing up, did you ever want, did you always want to be an NFL star? Some people haven't. Was, was that your dream? You know what? It wasn't. You know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a police officer. The crazy thing about it, it wasn't until it wasn't until my freshman year in high school that I felt like, you know what? I want to give this thing a shot and see what if see if I can make it to the NFL. And that's how my dream started, my freshman year in high school. Wow. Okay, so that's interesting that you talk about that that's when you want to be a police officer. So sports was the growing up it's someone in the family tell you, Hey, you should think about playing sports or you like sports as well, but police officer was your number one goal. I, I like sports as well, but growing up where I was, where I come from, all you seen was police officers, you know? So uh, it, it wasn't, I was in a too terrible, bad neighborhood, but uh, I grew up in a small town. So all you seen was police officers. So you, you never seen anybody that played in the NFL. Uh, I mean, you seen it on TV, but unless you actually knew someone, you never felt like, it was attainable. You never felt like, okay, this really could be something that you could actually become. So when I grew up, I mean, I wanted to be a police officer and, and I played sports. Wrong. I played baseball, football, basketball. I played all those sports, but it wasn't until my freshman year because I started on varsity as a freshman. And, and that's when I, I really opened some eyes as a freshman. And, you know, and I was like, you know what, let me get this thing a try. But my grades was terrible. When I take my grades was terrible. It was terrible. No, again, that, nobody. So, so why, why is that? So let's just jump in because I'm a former teacher myself and mm-hmm. I understand the, the, the power of education and how it's to so that education light bulb goes on. Even though I just wanted to perform well in school for one reason, just to play basketball. I was a college, mm-hmm. I played division three college basketball. I'm legitimate six ten. Then went on to become a professional wrestler. So that's another backstory, Terrence. But wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so minor leagues, but I, I was a professional, not as level the professional you were. Uh, but what I'm saying is that to get motivated for education, it's like how do you? And you said you were struggling in school. Why? Do, why were you struggling? What do you think? What it was? You know, it was. But when I was raised my grandmother, my mom was there. Don't get me wrong, but she worked all the time. Uh, I didn't have a father in my life. Uh, so I was raised with my grandmother because my mother worked a lot. Not saying she wasn't there for me to support me. She was, but she just worked a lot to support me and my brother. And so my grandmother, she, you know, she didn't know anything about the stuff I had done, my homework or anything like that. So when I got home from school, I didn't have that person that was on my back telling me, you know what, Terrence, get your homework done. Uh and even, and even if I did have somebody on my back telling me that, I didn't have anybody to help me with it. You know, so whatever I got was all because this is what I learned in school. I didn't have a study partner. I didn't have a parent to help me in my homework. That's why I tell my kids to this day, you need to be thankful for your parents, thankful for your mom, because my wife, she's on it when it comes to education. So she's on it with our children, which I, I love her for that. But I just didn't have that support system at the house. You know, so whatever I got on that, on my homework assignment, that was what I had on it. And of course, your homework is going to translate to how well you know, uh, whatever you know on the test. So everything was kind of a domino effect because I didn't have that. I didn't have that foundation in the house when it came to education. Right. And that's that's challenging, man, because uh, the foundation is so important. And would you think the school system you were in, how, what kind of school system do you think it was? It was, I think it was a good school system. Uh, it was a good system when I was at school. Uh, but like I said, when I went home, I mean, just, I didn't have that school system when I was at the house. You know, but luckily, luckily I had a head coach uh, named Brian Pascal. Uh, we still communicate to this day. He really, because uh, I can tell you a quick story. When I was, after my freshman year, 
uh, UNC Chapel Hill came in after my freshman year and, you know, they had the scout there was looking at my highlights. Like, yeah, he, he's very good on the football field. What does grades look like? And my high school coach told my grades, they closed the book and walked out. And I never heard from UNC again. And mind you, I was, when I came out, I was recruited by Kentucky, Wake Forest, East Carolina, Penn State, uh, all these schools, but I never heard back from UNC Chapel Hill because that was my first, that was their first impression of me that I was a low character guy because my grades was terrible. But luckily, uh, like I said, I had a head coach that really took, he really took to me and he really helped me when it came to my grades. Uh, he really held me accountable, uh, whether it was homework, whether it was him going to talk to my teachers, like, listen, he need extra help, help him out a little bit, you know, when it comes to tutoring that part of it, you know, so he really helped me out. And he, if it wasn't for him, I tell people all the time when I go give speeches, if it wasn't for him, I really wouldn't be where I'm at right now when it comes to athletic wise. See, and I love that because then he got your, got you in order, got the tutors, got everything together. Once you've had that system in place, did you develop a love for education? Did you kind of start to say, oh man, this is interesting? Or is it really a means to the end at this point? And I'm sure we're going to find out later in your career, you see the power of what education brings, especially after life after football. Um, mm -hmm. But did you start to say, oh my gosh, now things are, are clicking and I see why education is important uh, going forward? Edu to me, I started to feel like education was important because I wanted to get where I wanted to get to. Now, I'll, I'll be lying to you if I sit here and said that, you know, uh, after I started getting my grades up, you know, I just loved education. No. I can't say that to you at that age. I, I didn't can't either. Say it. I didn't you either, know? man. Heck no, you know? I didn't either. either. I'm like, but, dude, I got to get good grades <laughs> to keep playing basketball. That's it. Exactly. That was I was it. like, come on now. How can I get a good grade? Because we're competitors, right? As athletes, yep. we're the biggest competitors in the world. How can mm -hmm. I get the kind of grades I really need right now? How can I get them? And that's it. Right. Exactly. And that's, so it, it was the grade. It wasn't what you learned. I got an yep. A. That's it. Yep. That's like, I just, you know, I got a slam dunk or I scored 25 points. There was no, I guess, intrinsic part of learning, extrinsic yep. at that point. But at one mm -hmm. point, it changes. We're going to find out that story again with Terrence Copper as we're talking uh, beyond the microphone, podcast magazine, Neil Haley Show. Now, your freshman year, you're playing. Is that mm -hmm. difficult to play as a freshman? Uh, on the varsity at that point in time, it's even at the school you played for. You know what? It was it was difficult not because on the football field because for some reason I was my freshman year I was kind of bigger than your average freshman when you come in. Usually you have freshmen come in maybe about five eight one thirty. It depends on your size, but I came in as a freshman. I was I was then it may not sound big, but as a freshman, it's pretty big. I came in at like five ten. 5'11", 165, 170. So as a high school freshman, that's not that small for a high school freshman. So the actual skill part of it, that wasn't challenging. But the challenging part came to when I was off the field because now me being a freshman, I'm hanging with older guys. I'm hanging with juniors and seniors on the football team. I'm starting to do things that they're doing, whether that's good things or bad things. You know, so whether that was me starting to drink and drink alcohol at a young age, that was just because I was hanging with all the guys and that and not condoning any of it. But that was kind of my, that was my situation. So I picked up good habits from, from the older kids, but also picked up some bad, some bad habits from the older kids. So when it came to being challenging, that was a challenging part because I started picking up bad habits. Yeah. And that's, that's the hard part. We, we pick up those bad habits for sure. And so in your, your four years in high school, did you think you were going to go play division one at that point? Did you have inklings of that or just, you just, when did it finally come to you that you're going to get recruited and you're going to get to play D one football? Like so after, like so after my freshman year when Carolina came in, I got motivated, but it wasn't just like that. It just started clicking like that, but it got to the point to where after my, after my junior year, I needed to make all A's my senior year to get into college. Wow. Uh, with my with my GPA, you know, it was on a weighted scale back yeah. then. Uh, with the GPA and my SAT scores, when I tell you it averaged out, it averaged out perfectly 
Like I like I had no room for error, whether GPA or SAT. It it just went perfectly. And I thank God for that because like I said, those are things I did pray on. And like I said, God for some reason, and I'm thankful for him, he always answered my prayers. He always does. And he answered my prayers then. And so, but that's how I got into college by the skin of my teeth. I barely got in. And then once I got into college, you know, I started doing, do I was doing well, I wasn't doing bad. But then my grandmother died because that's how I was raised by. Oh my. Once she once she passed, I started going back to doing all the things I used to do uh, when it came to drinking, uh, partying. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Drinking, partying, women. I was doing all these things when I was in college, uh, especially when she died. It wasn't because I was a bad kid, but I was venting. I was venting. And and Neil, I ended up getting into a fight when I was in college. Oh my! I, I got into a fight when I was in college, and I got sued for fifteen thousand dollars as a college student. <gasps> now, oh my! You know, I told you, wow. I grew up. I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. Right. I didn't. I didn't grow up that way. So, for me, and this happened. This happened right before I went to court for this. Right before the draft, and I was I was slated to get drafted between the third and fifth round. But when this happened, when that happened, now of course, and like they should, a lot of the NFL scouts was looking at me like, you know what, he got character issues. I don't think we need to draft this kid. Oh my! And and I thank God that the Dallas Cowboys gave me that opportunity to come in as a free agent. And when I come in as a free agent now, Neil, here we go. I look on the depth chart, and we got ten receivers on the depth chart. This training camp at receiver, four of them played last year. We only keep in five. So it's essentially you got six guys fighting for one spot. And I remember just as good when the reporter during training camp, she came up to me. She was like, well, Mr. Copper, if you don't make this team, what is your plan B? See, she didn't know my story. My plan B was, you know, I had to pay this $15,000 or I had to go to jail for 45 days. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I had to go to jail for 45 days if I didn't pay that, if I didn't pay the, the, the fine. So – you talking about stress, but, but like I say, my roots are in church. I grew up in church. Uh, church was installed in me. Uh, it didn't matter if I had people who spend the night with me when I was growing up. If you stay with me Saturday night, bring your church clothes. You got to go to church on Sunday. That was automatic. So what I started doing, I really started praying, reading my Bible to asking God to really just, you know, have his way with it. And lo and behold, again, he answered my prayers again. I ended up making the practice squad. Uh, had a chance to pay the, the fine, the $15,000 fine that I had to pay, you know, and, and my career took off. But then it takes a, for me, everything is spiritual for me. It took, it took another turn. So now, now, Neil, not to get too deep with you, but now the fact that I know the power of God, I know God is going to answer my prayers. This is what I started doing. Now, once the season starts, so, I mean, people that don't know about the NFL, it's a little different now because they're playing 17 games to the 16 games. But in the NFL, when I was playing, you got paid. So if I had a million-dollar contract, I got paid a million dollars in 17 weeks. But, you have, of course, you have to make the team. So here I am. I'm praying uh, before the season starts, Lord, allow me to make this team. Uh, I do your will. I do everything you ask me to do. Guess what? As soon as I make the team, the season over with, I make the money uh, for that year. I'm right back doing the things that I was doing before partying. Oh, no. You know, drinking, women. You so, had that opportunity. So I'm going to go back to Terrence. You had this opportunity, yep. right? You mm -hmm. prayed to God to get that. You received yep. it. And yet you went back to your old ways. And, and I think this is an important thing because you seem very motivational. And I think that I, I, I'm going to enjoy this story because I believe the end of the story after your NFL career is you're really going to help people by telling mm -hmm. your story and telling people you went through this. But you had this opportunity, $1 million, mm -hmm. man, you know, and then you're back doing the same old, same old. Oh, my. Yep. I'm sure that... NFL, did they do they keep an eye on you that the Cowboys after that year or how's no, that work? No, because yeah. I wasn't I wasn't getting any trouble. You know, I was just doing the average, I guess you call, you call it the average thing, just partying, uh, drinking. So it really wasn't it wasn't like I was getting back in trouble, but I was breaking my bond with God when I was telling him I wasn't gonna do. That's how I looked at that. And 
once the season was coming back up, training came back, some, was coming back up, guess what I went back to doing? I went back to praying again, God, allow me to make this team, allow me to do this, and I will make the team after, after the season's over with, okay, I'm right back partying. So to me, what I tell a lot of people, I was really toe-testing my faith. And I, and I tell people what toe-testing is, like if you go to the pool, you stick, your, you stick your toe in the water to see if it's hot or cold. If it's too cold, you're not getting in. And that's what I was doing with my faith. I was toe-testing it. I was, I was on the fence with it, going back and forth to the point to where I feel like that's why I bounced around from team to team, being with Dallas for two years been with New Orleans for three years, then going to Baltimore for half a year. And then I finally got to Kansas City where I was spiritually challenged. And when I say spiritually challenged, that means um, we had Bible study weekly. We had team Bible study weekly. We had uh, uh, marriage couples Bible study weekly. So I was constantly feeding my soul, constantly feeding my soul. And at that point in time, when I got to Kansas City, now I'm a veteran. I'm a veteran. I'm not a young guy anymore. So now I have I have younger kids getting drafted and they're coming to me, asking me, cop, how did you make it? How did you make it this far? You know, how did you make it this far in the league? So, you know, at certain times, it was certain things I had to, I had to really start setting an example for the younger kids that was coming in. And, and that's what I started doing. So uh, everything got turned around for me, man, once I really start getting spiritually, spiritually challenged. And, and I really start locking in and, and being more of a family man. And a lot of people ask me, well, well, Terrence, what did you like playing? What did you like playing the most at? Was it Dallas, uh, uh, New Orleans, Kansas City? And I tell them like this, it, was, it all depends on where I was at maturity-wise. When I was in Dallas, I loved it. You know, when I was in New Orleans, I loved it. But I was maturity-wise, I was young. But once I got to Kansas City, I, I was starting to mature more. I became more of a family man. Uh, and Kansas City was the perfect place for me. So I loved everywhere I played, but it just depends on where I was at maturity-wise. Okay, so let's talk about who was the great mentors in Kansas City to get you really on your faith and really becoming a family man and starting that. You know what? You know, it. I really can't say it was just one person, but that whole, that whole team, you know, you had guys like Dustin Colquitt, who was the punter, Right. Uh, you had Ryan Suckup, who was the kicker. Uh, so it was a lot of people that kind of played their part and not just really been a mentor to me, but actually looking up to me. Because when I got to Kansas City, I was a two time team captain. So when these guys are looking up to me and they look up well, Terrence, come on to a Bible study. So I start going to Bible studies, and different things like that. So it really wasn't the fact that they was mentoring me. It was just I was seeing how was how they was living their life, and I was seeing how they was looking up to me. So I really had to start a change in my ways. And plus, like I said, I was married. Uh, I had kids at the time, not kids at the time, but my son, he's in college, plays for East Carolina now. So I had three boys at the time. So I mean, not three boys, but uh, two boys and a girl at the time. So you know, I had to be I had to be there for them as well. You know, so that's when I started changing because I just started maturing more. And my outlook at life started being different. So, and that's, and that's what happened, you know? So, so I'm, I'm thankful for my journey of the things I went through in life. I'm thankful for all those things because that is what shaped me to be the person I am today. Now that's, that's a tremendous story because uh, it, it's so important to find that mission and find that vision in your life. And it seems like in Kansas city, you did. So you talk about being a two-time cap captain with, the Saints. So what was your mm -hmm. biggest highlight? With Kansas City. With Kansas Kansas City? City. Oh, you were the, oh, with Kansas City. So what was your mm -hmm. best, what were your best seasons with? Who would you say? Where you had you your know best? what? Mm -hmm. It was, it was with, ah, I think my stats was better with uh, New Orleans because I played a receiver position a lot more. But my best seasons, truthfully, I felt like when I was in Kansas City, uh, because when I say my, I feel like my best seasons was because I feel like my role there was so much more important uh, when it came to that locker room. And, and by the one thing that I really hang my hat on, I really, I'm really thankful for is the fact that when I got voted team captain two years, team captain isn't voted on by the coaches. No, you know, it's voted on by the players. And 
you can hide who you are when you're around the coaches. You can kind of hide and kind of uh, do certain things and, and make coaches feel like you're a certain way. But your teammates, they know who you really are because you're around these guys all the time. And for me to get voted team captain by my teammates, you know, that was everything to me. So I feel like I had the most success when I was in Kansas City, but not necessarily because of stat-wise. It yeah. was because everything else I brought to the table, and they respected the type of player I was when it came to special teams. And, like, special teams is a grind. Yes. You know, it's not it's not a flashy – special teams is not a flashy uh, position. When you play in special teams, it's just a straight grind. And that's what I was, and my teammates respected that. The coaches respected it. So that's why I feel like when I got to Kansas City, those were my best seasons because maturity-wise and just respect from the team. And, you know, I, and I love what I did, and I love the city. And special teams are so important for a successful football team, isn't it? Oh, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And I tell people all the time, listen, special teams, if you're a special team player, you're a starter because if you got to start the game, you got to start out on kickoff or either kick returns that you're starting. You know, so you got to set the tone for the game. And that's how and that's how it was. Wow. All right. So kind of going from there, uh, would, would you say your high, like your most memorable moment in the NFL? What would it be on the oh, field and goodness. off the field? Good. Most memorable moment on the field was in 2006. Uh, I was in New Orleans. We just got back from you know, from San Antonio because the team was displaced because of Hurricane Katrina. Right. And it was the first time back into the Superdome. And the Superdome, remember when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, the Superdome was a refuge of everybody. So you had people that, that died in the, in the Superdome. And for us to come back and play that opening game against the, the Falcons, and that game was so emotional. Uh, and I felt like that game – was a game of hope. It was a game of hope for the city, for the town, the city of New Orleans, because at that point in time, you know, they was going through a lot. We was going through a lot uh, because of Hurricane Katrina. And I, I met some people when I first got to New Orleans. I met some people that was actually from New Orleans, and they took me around to show me the watermarks. Uh, and the water was up. Like, so if you have an overpath, just imagine an overpath. Uh, the water was up that high. That's like 30 feet. That's how high the water was in certain areas. So to come back and to play in that opening game back into the Superdome, Superdome was open back up. Right. Uh, Steve Gleason get the, the famous block punt. Uh, Curtis DeLoach recovers it in the end zone. You know, and that game was so emotional. You had grown men. You had all the players boo-hoo crying at those games because we came back, we won a game, we brought hope back to the city. And that was the biggest one of the biggest things that I ever that I ever played in, or, or biggest things that I ever experienced, playing football on the football field. So that's that was my story. And off the field, off the field, just being able to give back to the community, uh, being able to to not just give back financially, but give back when it comes to my services, uh, when it comes to because I I go I give speeches everywhere so just going back and be able to pour into the kids and talk to them about the things that that I've done in life uh, and really just give my testimony uh, give my testimony to, to the kids to to churches to wherever I go at wherever God sent me and that is to me that's the biggest part of my of my career when it comes to off the field success I really like that. It's such a great point about off the field and what the NFL can do and the players that decide to do it because Terrence, not every player decides to be helping off the field, right? And be right. and help. And there's so much opportunity because when you wear that uniform, right? You don't just mm -hmm. you wear that uniform on Sundays. You wear that uniform when you represent the community. Anytime you're out there, you're representing that organization, aren't you? That's right. That's right. And and I was blessed to end up. I opened a sports academy up in Winterville, North Carolina, where. Uh, we have a 28,000 square foot building. We got a full gymnasium, a weight room, and we cater to, to from the youth from age six up to the pros where we train them in basketball. We have basketball leagues. We train them in football. We have strength and agility. We have seven on seven. So we really have a, a good organization here in Winterville when it comes to having an outlet for the kids uh, to do certain sports. And also I can have a chance to teach them 
the things that I wish I would have known at their age. Did you think about life? Do you had a plan? I mean, you could see you've grown through all of your, uh, I guess, sowing your wild oats and having those partying and all those different things you grew because you constantly went back to your faith. And then finally you, the light bulb came on. Uh, Once you, do you have a plan for life after football? Because it seems like you were really a student of understanding how important it was to help in the community, how important it was to bring a great message and to help others. Did you have that plan right after your career was over to what you wanted to do? You know what? I didn't have that plan right after, but I knew I wanted to do something when it came to, when it came to kids and, and really talking to kids and kind of mentoring because I threw football camps every year when I was playing. When I came back home, I threw football camps. So I knew once I was done, I wanted to continue to be around the youth. So probably a year after I retired, I was like, you know what? I'm going to open a sports academy up. And that's so my transition from, from the NFL to life at the NFL, it wasn't easy. But because I kind of knew what area I wanted to go to, it made it easier, but it wasn't easy. Because again, you're going to have to get funding. You know, you had a career, you made money in the NFL, but talking about how big off-season sports are, it's gigantic, isn't it, Terrence? It's like, it is, and it's a highly competitive business, regardless, even if you're in your hometown, compared to big cities, everyone is developing these kids now, right? From the beginning. Yep, that's right. That's right. Yep. And so, yeah, it's great. And so the process... What are you doing and helping others? Do you have a mission statement for your business that really kind of speaks to it from what you've learned so that you can, can, can give that kind of message out to every one of the kids that goes through your program? You know what? I, I let them know that is, it doesn't matter how, how gifted you are in sports without education. It doesn't matter how gifted you are in sports without education. That is... That is what we lean on. That is our, our motto because I've been around a lot of guys that was amazing in sports, was amazing in sports, but you lose them to the streets or you lose them to grades. And so that is one thing that we really pride ourselves on is to try to keep kids off the streets and try to make them understand the importance of grades. Because for me, it could have been both for me. I could I could not be here. I could not be here because of grades if I didn't get my grades up when I was in high school. Or and I could not be here because of the things I was doing in the streets by me getting into a fight and different things like that. So I just seen so many guys that didn't have the opportunity I had that that didn't that wasn't able to overcome, you know, and continue their journey when it came to sports. So that's something that we really want to push to the kids here. And that's huge. That's exactly uh, what's needed, uh, Terrence, to bring the game. And I love the fact to talk about education. And you struggled in education, so you tell them that, right? That it didn't oh, yeah. come, it didn't come out didn't come out easy to you. And I think that not, that's not the thing when they hear an athlete that they think, hey, you know, everyone when you meet a professional athlete, you think, well, they just were gifted. I can't be them, or they had no struggles. And when you're able to share your story, Terrence, like you're sharing it for people, that's huge, isn't it? Yes, sir. It is. And, and it's just, I try to relate to the kids and understand that everybody go through their struggles. It doesn't matter uh, what background you come from. Everybody's going to struggle in something. And, and one thing I do, I, when I go and I give my testimony to these kids, I don't sugarcoat anything. Of course, I make sure it's age appropriate, the things I tell them, but I tell them. You know, in the Bible, it says you, we overcome by the words of our testimony. And so when I go, I give my testimony and I don't sugarcoat it. I, I need them to know exactly and not just my testimony for growing up, even when it comes to being successful in life, because everybody, everybody's success is going to look different. But I tell them, all, I promise you, but we all going to go through things to get to the success. And you got to be able to overcome these things uh, to be successful. So I'm not, I don't really give them a, I guess, a key to success, but I'll I'll allow them to understand the way to overcome adversity. And, and to me, and for me, that was, that was my spiritual life. That was my relationship with God, my relationship with Jesus. And that's, and that's what I do. 
Very good. So let's go from here to uh, podcasting. And did you have you done radio shows before that or podcasts before the War Room, or was this the first experience with podcasting? So here at East Carolina, because uh, I'm in my the town of East Carolina University, I actually did radio for for four years. At, it's a radio station called Pirate Radio here. And then I actually transitioned over to 94.3. That is the official East Carolina radio station. So I do the pregame show and the postgame show. And I've been doing that for, I've been doing radio for probably about six years now. So going into podcasting was, was a kind of easy transition because I love to talk about sports. Uh, whether I was on the radio or not, I love talking about sports and to actually be able to do and to kind of set things up and talk about the things that I would like to talk about and and have a, a, an amazing co-host and John Hendricks, because we do it for Believe in Saints and the War Room podcast with Big E. You know, our chemistry is, is, is amazing and we just love what we do. And so like in that transition, you, I too was radio and then kind of went to podcasting. So we're 12 years when I started. Terrence started on a college radio station now syndicated 150 plus stations and then kind of podcasting was just we didn't call it podcasting we had the hour show hey here's the link to it It wasn't like what podcasting has become today so once you know Uh everyone can do podcasting Terrence was it a a no-brainer to do it or especially when you're a radio guy did you have any uh things of questioning podcasting because everyone's doing it they really they're you know, not I, it's it, they're really not but it seems like it is yeah it seems like it you know but I, I really didn't have any questions about it you know i was it was something that you know of course i did my research on it and want to understand how to format certain things and how to how to go from here to go to there this subject that subject but it really wasn't it wasn't a bad transition for me when it came to to podcasting it was something that i love to do i just i didn't realize that i love to do podcasting i didn't realize it you know, but now the fact that I'm actually doing it, you know, it's something that I just I fell in love with uh, being able to talk about something that I'm passionate about, whether it's college football, whether it's NFL football. And just to me, podcasting is a lot like you around your friends and your family and you're just talking about sports and you're just going into detail about certain things because you you understand it a little bit more. And that's what it feels like to me is it's a. It's, it's a podcast. The podcast we do, we're, we're free to say what we want to say. If we, when we're breaking it down film, when we're talking about different teams, different subjects, you know, it's, it seems so natural when you're coming from the football world and you're coming from the radio world. So true. And uh, I think it, it becomes natural and it's, it's a good release too to talk about things, especially when you're a busy entrepreneur constantly. Mm-hmm on and off the field as an entrepreneur and as a family man to come back and do the show. It's just, a, it's a great release. So how many hours a week do you prepare for the show? Oh, wow. So we are, we prepare. So I do two shows, uh, believe in saints with John Hendricks and the war room podcast with, uh, with biggie and uh, hours. It's going to be because for one of my spend hours watching games uh, I spend hours just studying uh, statistics and different things like that. So I probably spent about in a week, I probably spent about five hours, you know, preparing for the podcast, probably about five hours. Yep. And do you try the, the, with your, with your co-host try to really go back and forth when you talk about or the two different shows to kind of, when you talk about podcasting, the preparation going on, or is it, is it a natural thing to you? It seems like it's a natural thing to you, Terrence. Some people will have to put a lot more time than five hours in and have a successful show. Do you think it's just based on, you know, when the camera light is on or the, the, the recording light is on, you're just ready to go. You know what? It's, I'm just ready for it. And, because I know the game so well and, and I'm prepared for what I'm talking about when it comes to statistics and, and I just understand the game of football, uh, whether it's college, whether it's pros, it just comes naturally to me. It comes natural. And for, and for our co-hosts, it's, it's very important to have when you have a co-host to have chemistry. That is, that is huge. You got to have that chemistry and that's what we have with, with both of our co-hosts. And it takes time. It's an interesting thing. It's a process. 
doesn't happen overnight. So talk about that chemistry. So, you know, one person speaks and the other person stops. It's not easy, especially if you have a guest that comes on too. But if you're just talking back and forth, how to give that person time till you speak, right? Oh yeah. That, and that's, and that's just part of that chemistry that, you know, when he's about to stop talking, you know, when his thought process is, is, uh, is done and you can kind of chime in, uh, you know, when he may be talking about something and he may need a little bit of help uh, when it comes, you know, when it chimes. So that chemistry is everything. Uh, and it flows and the people and your listeners, they understand it and, and they feel the chemistry. Where would you like to see your podcast go? What's your goals for the two podcasts? Where do you want to see it? Oh, wow. You know what? Our goal is, my goal is if we could podcast for, if that's, that's all I want to do is podcast. Of course, continue to do what I do at the Premier Sports Academy, but I will, I wish, I, I'm hoping that I could just podcast forever and then continue to give out good information uh, to continue to uh, give our fans, give our listeners exactly what they, what they want to talk about, what they want to hear. We engage with them on social media as well. Uh, they have things they want us to talk about or things that they want us to, to hit on. And, you know, that's, we love that. We love that. And that's the powerful thing is just the whole, it doesn't end. You said five hours. You probably think about the time you spend on social media, the time you're communicating with people about other things. It's probably longer than five hours, but it's just a, <laughs> but it's a love, it's a love thing. And you probably talk about it in sports or are such a powerful thing. Um, who's your favorite podcaster? Like, do you listen to podcasts and who does, who are your favorite podcasters? I love, I am athlete. I love watching. I am athlete. Uh, those guys with Ocho Cinco, uh, you know, those guys do a great job. Uh, I am athlete. So if, if anybody thinking about podcasting, those guys do an amazing job uh, when it comes to podcasting. It's called I am athlete. Absolutely. Well, fantastic. Best place we can connect you with you, Terrence, is go where? Where can we find info on the podcast and also information on you? Well, for the podcast, you can always go to, you can go to Apple, uh, you can go to any of your podcast media outlets, uh, Google, Google Play, any of the podcast media outlets, we're on all of them. Uh, one of them for the New Orleans Saints is Believe in Saints, and the other one is the War Room Podcast, and it's, it's also, in parentheses, an ECU podcast as well. It's called the War Room, but it's the ECU podcast. You have to put that in also, uh, because we are catered to East Carolina University. Uh, so those are things you can you can find us on the podcast, and also when it comes to when it comes to me and the Premier Sports Academy, uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Premier Sports Academy. You can find us on Instagram at the Premier Sports Academy. Uh, the website is thepremiersportsacademy.net, uh, and Twitter as well. So you can find us there. And I am Terrence Copper, and you can find me on uh, Twitter. Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram and Facebook as well. It's a full-time job podcasting, trust me, and you're doing it and you're enjoying it and keep up the great work and appreciate Terrence, you coming on and uh, great information and really inspiring in so many ways of what you went through to where you are today and continue to bring, help young people and enjoy talking sports. So I appreciate you coming by. Neil, thanks for having me on. All right, take care. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. All right, that was the podcast magazine sports category director Neil Haley's interview and the Neil Haley Show. Take Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rob Roselli's show. And I'm excited to welcome to Rob Roselli. Rob, what's going on? How are you? Hey, Neil, how you doing? Doing fantastic. And uh, let's, let's, what's the news after we've had a week off of uh, your show? Um, you know, we re replayed one, but tell me what's up in the news now, especially with this Ukraine thing. Well, the war's go. I mean, excuse me. The world's going crazy, as we can see. We had this war in the Ukraine that's that's potentially going to go nuclear. I don't think it will, based on biblical prophecy. I think that's a later event, but nobody knows the timing of these things. But and we have a completely left wing administration, a bunch of climate alarmists that really don't know what they're doing, and it really. They're basically putting the screws to the, the people of the United States with their policies, with their left-wing policies, everything that sounds good in the classroom for the past 30 or 40 years that these people are trying to put into practice and it's not working out. Well, it is working out with 8 to $10 a gallon gasoline and this sort of thing. But 
let's just review on my website, boxofsunglasses.com. There's the inconvenient scientific method. And that goes through the, what, a, what a scam, the climate, the science, the so-called science of the climate change uh, scenario really is. The science is so bad, Neil, that when Al Gore talks about sea level rise, because the, the Arctic ice caps are melting, it's really, it's really stupid. It's basic high school or, you know, maybe freshman college level physics, ice floats. So when the polar ice caps melt, the sea level should actually fall. But somebody forgot to tell Al Gore about the laws of buoyancy. So that's that's how bad the science is of of global warming, global cooling, climate change. And that's what's driving these people. I mean, this is these people's priority is to get the Americans out of out of fossil fuel burning cars and get them into electric cars. The problem is electric cars are already subsidized and they still cost any anywhere from 30 to 100,000 for an equivalent gas fueled car. So these people are living in these people are living in an academic dream world and while the world is literally burning figuratively for now maybe literally soon. So it's really an awful situation and this this Biden this illegitimate president Joe Biden is 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 doing his best to to do who knows what with all those left-wing accolades and all those left-wing people in office like this Pete Buttigieg and, and all these other people. Well, Donald Trump, Trump's, you know, travels around the country to record crowds and, and, and people really wanting him to run in 2024, but I'm not sure the country's gonna make it that far. The problem being, again, we have left-wing zealots running the country now who are not gonna be willing to give up their power I mean, Nancy Pelosi and others. But as far as the, the sanctions on Russia, that's another scam. Okay. Russia, you know, we ban the imports of Russian oil and Russia will say, fine, they'll just sell more oil to China and India. So that should have minimal effect, except that it's going to decrease the supply in this country. And as people know, Biden's already canceled the XL pipeline. So that's going to decrease supply even more. And decreased supply drives up prices. So all the academics and all the economic experts on, you know, MSNBC and these other channels, you know, what are they going to say? They're going to come up with some academic explanations for why prices are going through the roof. But it's really quite basic, isn't it? As to what's what's going really going on. But Russia is an exporter of, of things like food, steel, fertilizer, natural gas, coal. Things like this. And what's the United States doing? They're, you know, they're banning McDonald's and Netflix. Or Netflix and McDonald's are removing themselves from Russia. I mean, it's almost laughable what's going on all over war in a country we should have nothing to do with. Now, my prediction is that stuff, information is going to keep coming out. It's going to keep seeping through this, this shield of the mainstream media in this nation, which is basically an information shield of propaganda, even Fox News is on this, you know, kill, literally kill Putin bandwagon and defending the Ukraine and, and rooting for Russia's demise and all this sort of thing. But my prediction is that, you know, information is going to start seeping through this, this shield of misinformation. Um, and they also banned Russia today. Russia today has been kicked out of the United States for all intents and purposes. And that was the that gives the Russian side of the equation. Okay. And, uh, and I'm not a, I'm not a Russia file. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent pro Russian, but it would be nice to get another side of the story, which we're not getting here, except Putin, bad Ukraine, good. Okay. But information is going to start seeping out as to what the United States is exactly doing in the Ukraine. Now I've heard, you know, on the conspiracy theory websites, if you got to read, you can't, go by the mainstream news um, that the Ukraine's a clearinghouse for child trafficking, drug operations, you know, all, all with the United States at the forefront. It's like a clearinghouse of international criminal activity. And also it's coming out that bioweapons labs are, have been discovered. The United States bioweapons labs have been discovered in the Ukraine, okay, Victoria Newland. 
Oh, hey, so that woman's still around, and she was, she was more or less is, is on video admitting this. Okay, so, you know, what do we do with this information if it's true the United States is operating bioweapons research labs in the Ukraine? You know, what are they researching and why are they being so close to Russia? Now, if information like that keeps coming out and, it'll, and it becomes apparent that the Russian invasion of the Ukraine is actually justified, you know, from the Russian point of view, because of what the United States has been doing, the world is really going to turn against the United States. And that kind of segues into my Mystery Babylon scenario that we discussed a couple months back, and it's, it's posted on my website. Again, that's boxofsunglasses.com and Mystery Babylon USA. So right now, it, it seems like the world is, is more or less 50-50, you know, for against, you know, Russia. Russia has its allies, its new, newest ally, which is China, which is a very dangerous situation as, as China um, exports a lot of, we, we're, we're dependent on China for a lot of our imports now. I mean, we've, we've stupidly uh, encouraged our companies to go to China because it's, you know, cheaper labor, less regulation, this sort of thing. And now China exports everything. And I, and I, I believe that the number one export target of China is the United States, you know, and then China has a huge demand on the U S dollar. And if China dumps the U S dollar along with Russia, you know, all those dollars floating around the world, those petrodollars that are used to settle international trade, you know, particularly in oil, if those dollars start coming home and combined with the dollars that the United States Federal Reserve has been printing, you know, more or less at random so-called helicopter money, we're going to have hyperinflation in this nation, like just like the Weimar Republic in Germany between World War One and World War Two, or what happened in Venezuela a few years back. And, and we may be seeing that seeping into our food and gas prices. That may be the beginning of hyperinflation right now. I've come across articles that say that the hyperinflation is here. It's just beginning. So, and again, we have these left-wing incompetents running the show that, that really don't know what they're doing outside of a classroom and outside of Al Gore's inconvenience, inconvenient truth that the scam book about global warming that, that again, that I, I picked apart in my link, the inconvenient scientific method. So, you know, with that, Unfortunately, it's not it's not good news. And I'm not sure Trump or even a Republican Congress in 2022 can reverse all this, even if they make it that far. So I'm not sure that, you know, we'll have to really just pray for this nation that we make it that far. And and again, I know we're coming up on end times events, but no, nothing is to be timed. So we just need to, you know, trust in God. And my website, boxofsunglasses.com, there's God's simple salvation plan that people, you know, people can read. It's about 10 or 11 pages. Take about, it's about a 15 to 20 minute read. It goes through, you know, the simplicity of becoming a born again Christian and being right with God. I mean, you know, God will, this is nothing to God. Okay. Psalm chapter two, Proverbs chapter one. So we need to keep that in the back of our minds. I mean, be cautious and be wary of what's going on, but don't, you know, don't go jumping off bridges or anything like that because Joe Biden's president. I mean, God's ultimately in control of this mess. So we need to keep that in mind. And once again, boxofsunglasses.com. My books are available and, and soon we'll be revamping the website in the next couple of weeks. So that'll be coming out a new, a new format to the site. Um, Absolutely, Rob. I mean, and I guess, you know, you look at these things, people need to get, go ahead and, and uh, read these books because you predicted everything in the last 10 years and now it's coming to, to really happen. And, uh, and, uh, and you, you, World War III could happen. Uh, have you heard anything on any cyber attacks happening, Rob, that that's coming out? Have you seen that in the news anywhere? Just I'm giving this mainstream. I'm hearing from some people that potential cyber attacks can happen. Have yeah, I've, come across, I've come across several articles about potential Russian cyber attacks and Russian isolating itself from the internet and, and, and getting preparing for cyber attacks on the United States. I have heard that, but um, 
other than that, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not inside Russian intelligence, so I can't sit here and say that, oh, yeah, we're going to have a cyber attack next week. But but from what I read, I mean, these, these cyber attacks are more or less constant and they're, they're always going on. I mean, not necessarily they don't make the news all the time, you know, maybe because they don't want people to, you know, especially, panic and have bank especially certain Especially certain companies going down for a short period of time or different banks going down or different things like that. They're not going to say these were cyber attacks. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So I guess we all have to be alert. That's the biggest danger, right? If we, if we go off the grid and Russia is the only one on the grid, what would happen? It would be catastrophic, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, for the United States, I mean, let's face it, we, we, we've all, I mean, none of, very few of us are pioneers that we could, you know, we could really survive uh, without the modern conveniences that we, we all enjoy and we all take for granted. I mean, things as simple as flushing a toilet and garbage disposal would suddenly become non-existent, you know, gasoline, you know, and, and, and people, I don't know. I mean, a large majority of people wouldn't know what to do in that situation. And, and um, so, yeah, it could be, could be catastrophic. All right. Rob box sunglasses.com. And look forward to another good Rob Roselli show. Take care, Rob. All right, Neil. Take All care. right, that's the Rob Roselli show, guys. Take care. Back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program Joe DeSena from No Retreat Business Boot Camp. How are you, Joe? Thanks for stopping by, man. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I'm excited to talk to you today, even though it's a Monday morning. You know how we, we're getting the whole week together, goals to plan, all those different things. Now, Joe, did you think that what you created and what you've built would come to this point now? where you have your own TV show and things like that when you started out in this. I did not. I did not think that. I figured maybe there were 50,000 lunatics around the world that would engage in doing tough stuff, you know, climbing mountains, getting outside in the rain. Not even that tough if we think back to the 1800s, but in today's world, doing tough stuff. And it turned out we had 10 million people do it. I did not expect to hit 10 million people. I did not expect a CNBC television show. So clearly the world wants a little more tough in their life. So how did that all start? Explain how that started, how you came over this tough in their lives. And I think it's such a great thing because it's great bonding for a company to have to, to, to struggle together and go through all this process, but it also teaches you specifically how important our health is, how important it is to be healthy and be able to tackle and accomplish things that are sometimes insurmountable in a lot of ways. Well, you know, most companies don't make it. 95% of companies fail, number one. Number two, we just all went through COVID globally. And so I think we now hopefully understand the importance of staying fit and healthy. So companies need it. Humans need it. Um, but yet, yet what we're being sold all day, every day, and what we're addicted to is our phones, right. is junk food, is the couch. It's a mini series all over, you know, the TV shows like so these are these are not things that we should be engaging in 24 um, seven. So it's a tough sell. Uh, but the good news is we're doing it. CNBC bought in and and it makes people better and companies better because of it. So, Joe, from th that process, like I was asking how it started for you before even the boot camp. How did that happen? Okay, let me explain that. Mom, mom uh, back in the 1970s found yoga, meditation, health food when it wasn't cool. There were no yoga magazines or yoga. There was no Lululemon back then. She found it and um, introduced me to a 3,100-mile 3, race around a one-mile loop in Queens, New York that still exists today. She showed my sister and I this race to show us the power of the human mind, what people are capable of. And uh, so somewhere deep down in my subconscious, I remembered this event, became a normal person, ended up on Wall Street, sat at a desk, got nice and plump, did all my dinners at night trying to convince people to do business with me, and then remembered 
all the things my mom was saying. And I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot here. And I started doing, I started doing long distance races. I started doing a lot of yoga and I started bringing my clients and future and potential clients out to do this stuff with me. My business exploded because of it. I became branded as this crazy extreme wellness guy and um, ultimately bought a farm in Vermont and started doing it for other companies. Wow. And so how important is a brand? You wouldn't have a show today if it wasn't for your brand. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we got really lucky choosing the name Spartan, right? Because when we hear that word, it it creates an image in our minds that we all get. We all want to we all want to say a little less, eat a little less, work a little harder like the Spartans did. And um, and it became this brand in 45 countries. There's no doubt about it. When I sat down with the the CEO of CNBC, I don't think he would have been as excited if it wasn't uh, if there wasn't a tie to the Spartan brand. Uh, so that's good. And the other thing to remember is um, we've got races all over the world. So if a company can't afford to come on the farm and be on the show, just go out and do a race, crawl into barbed wire together. Absolutely. So let's, uh, can, let's, let's jump, uh, jump into the next thing, uh, Joe, the show. Tell us more about the show. The show takes a company. We go, we dive in, I get to spend time at their offices and and see what their three main issues are. Every company has issues. Uh, Spartan would be lucky if we only had three issues. I got 50 issues at all times I'm dealing with. We, you know, all CEOs do. And, but those issues we tend to not confront. They're the 800 pound you know, elephants in the room and we, we go around them, we go under them, but we don't, we don't deal with them. We might listen to a podcast. We might read Harvard Business Review or take some business advice from a consultant, but but we don't do the hard work. And so I take that team, that company up to the farm and I force them to do the hard work. And, and in doing so with my team, I've got a, a psychologist and I got a, a young business guru that works at Mark Cuban with my team. We, um, we transform these companies. Yeah. And that transformation is such an important thing. And do you spot when you get them to the boot camp where, what they're missing in their team elements? that's very easy to spot, right? When they all get here say, oh, do we really have to be here? And then you see, is the leadership lacking, right? Because that's such an important thing to have a leader that can, that everyone is willing to follow, but also believes in their mission and vision. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, on the farm, like I said, it shines a mirror in your, fl- in your face. We see the blind spots immediately. We, f- we figure out what, what's going on here. And, and we get to show the entrepreneur, we get to show the leaders of the company um, under stress, under stress is always best, uh, what's going on, where they could level up. And surprisingly, even surprising for me, and, and I believe CNBC, when we check in with those companies three months later, they're literally going through the transformation. Like it is an incredibly powerful process. And that's the thing, because so many people don't want to be employees anymore. This is the other important part of it, that the the leadership team has to learn from doing the same things as everyone else is doing, that, wow, I'm really going to start to think of them more than just an employee. That's another goal of, I'm sure, what you do with your boot camp. No, no, no doubt about it. Um, the more we can make everybody feel included, the more we can make everybody feel powerful, the harder they're going to work, the harder they're going to chase the mission. And... Um, but who knows? You know, we don't know. We don't know what issue um, that company is dealing with that is their main issue. Uh, like I said, every company has them, but uh, they're all different. Some, some companies, uh, they don't have uh, processes and procedures in place. Others have a, a team dynamic that's going on, communication breakdowns, poor leadership, go down the list. Um, but whatever it is, they typically have been dealing with it for a long time and haven't faced it. See, and that's the thing, and they are, and the leadership, the upper management, the owner, who are the people that participate in this? Are these smaller businesses or, or larger businesses that? Both. I mean, on the farm, um, prior to the show even becoming a thing, we've had the Googles, we've had the Facebooks, we've had the Nikes, the Reeboks, the Goldman Sachs, go down the list. 